What is up, everybody? It is me. It is me. It is Mr. Sensational Gino V, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, coming to you with a very special episode 94. That is 94 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. And to the tens of ones and the listening audience, if you are someone that is somehow coming to this show in a vacuum, which I can't really imagine as possible, but I'm going to throw this caveat out there anyway. If you do not know what it is you are listening to, if you do not know what it is I am speaking about when I say that this is the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots radio network, let me break it down a little something like this. Uh, this is the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, a semi-weekly, weekly-ish show where for 30-ish minutes during each of those said weeks when we do in fact make air, um, myself, yours truly, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, plums the depths of his ordinary average life, reaches deep down into his existential innards to synthesize the everyday average happenings and occurrences that he witnesses and encounters to synthesize that material into content for you, the aforementioned tens of ones to listen to for the aforementioned 30 or so minutes a week. And all of this comes to you by way of the IC Robots Radio Network, a podcast network that has been around for quite some time now. Long enough that I might even venture to call it the venerable IC Robots Radio Network. The venerable IC Robots Radio Network, the host of different content over the years, currently um, hosts this show, hosts uh, the flagship show of the network, the world's famous IC Robot show. Um, a show hosted by our station boss and namesake, IC Robots himself. That is, in fact, a person, IC Robots. And lately, uh, I, I, I would venture to say, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but kind of his, his passion project of late has been his um, audio handbook of the Marvel Universe, wherein he, IC Robots, tackles a different character from Marvel lore each episode, kind of breaks down their origins, breaks down their history, but does so in a way where one does not necessarily have to be an adherent of the Marvel Universe to really enjoy it because it's more, how should we say, I would like to, I guess in my mind, I don't know how much ISR agrees. I, maybe he does, I don't know. I don't know that he doesn't. I'm just saying this, this is what always drew me to his content and when I try to present in my own content on his network there are so many podcasts out there in the world about topics where they are really about the topic. And do we really need to hear that much more about any given topic? I would say some topic-heavy based content um, makes sense. Um, I listen to a show um, called the 538 Podcast. And the 538 Podcast is all about breaking down data from uh, political polling. 
the much maligned world of political po polling that's doing deep dive into that data and, and data analysis and data science and so on and so forth. Now, this is a topic that um, is not immediately accessible to the average individual, requires quite a bit of research, requires quite a bit of knowledge. And these people do that research, they have that knowledge, and they share it with the listeners who Interestingly, I would imagine um, are quite more than tens of ones, but in any case, that's a topic-heavy show where I have to go to that show really to hear about that topic, and it's not a topic that I have mastery of in my own life, nor will I ever. But when you come to your pop culture shows, your shows about, for instance, Marvel topics, your shows about... Uh, Kind of what the IC Robots Radio Network started with, sort of retro topics, uh, nerd topics. Pardon me while I take just a sip of water here. My 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 uh, palate is giving out on me. I had an intense feeling of dryness all of a sudden. I apologize for that. Um, when you come to these topics, they're all things that the the niche out there that is listening for those topics already has a pretty good handle on themselves, I would say. And so you can listen to someone dryly pontificate about a topic that you already basically know about, or you can do a quick Wikipedia search to get back up to speed on. That's one format, and apparently it's a format that seems to work. A lot of people like that format. It's a format that I find a bit tedious, a bit unnecessary, a bit repetitive, a bit... What do they call it when they uh, fire people? It was, is, it's like a UK thing, right? A British thing? The, uh, redundant. Redundancies. Um, no shade if the, these are the type of shows you're into. No shade if these are the type of shows that you record. But uh, to me, when it comes to these more uh, pedestrian topics, I feel like the topic is a springboard. The topic is a canvas upon which the individual needs to bring their own brush to bear. Now, anyone can talk about Marvel characters. Anyone can talk about old toys. Uh, but only Icy Robots can talk about these things from the lens of Icy Robots. Anyone can talk about nothing like I do here on this show. But, and in my case, this isn't necessarily a, a, a bragging point or a good thing, but but no one else can talk about it fr from the, the vantage point of Gino Vega. And to me, these kind of shows, you listen to it because you want to hear, you, you either do or do not vibe with the personality behind the microphone. Doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say. Doesn't mean they have to be your best friend. But certain people are compelling. I'm not saying I'm compelling to anyone, but I'm just saying, from my own perspective as a listener, certain individuals are compelling and it really doesn't matter what they're talking about. I will still listen to the show. And I take some pride in, in feeling like that is sort of the lay of the land with the IC Robots Radio Network. It's not that the, the shows aren't interesting, it's not that the topics aren't interesting, but, but they're very accessible um, regardless of topic because um, you have a hit, heavy hitter such as Icy Robots, who is just so good at presenting himself as, as his own character. as a, He's a world builder, creates his own world, creates his own universe, draws you in, and you want to spend a little bit of time with him each week hearing more about it. And that is my pitch for what we do here at the network. I can't, you know, I don't believe, 
I guess I'm kind of, uh, it's why Minor Threat is one of my favorite bands of all time, because I guess I, I truly am out of step. Because when I participate in the mainstream culture, I notice that we are um, wired, advised, uh, um, predisposed. There's this idea of um, self-love, of self-promotion, of, of course, uh, life is a zero-sum game. And, of course, you should be the winner because you are you, this sort of egoism. Um, and it's not that I don't act in self-interest. It's not that I'm not self-interested. But... I always feel a little uncomfortable with that. It feels a little grotesque to me that uh, everything is always um, celebration of the self, which seems a little strange because I'm someone who does a show named after themselves for half an hour every week. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm hoping to do it in a sense of um, communion, in a sense of... Uh, Putting myself out there that maybe other people will find some of the stuff I talk about relatable. I don't know. But let me – let's put it this way. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega tends to come from a lens of um, – I'm, I'm at a loss for the right word. I had the word and now it's escaped me. Um, not self-disparagement. What's the word? It's uh, um, a self-deprecation. I, send, I tend to be self-deprecating. I tend to enjoy – self-deprecating tones and, and humor and all of that, often to my own peril, because I often forget that the mode of the world is not to be self-deprecating. And so sometimes when I'm being self-deprecating, easy for me to say, people seem to not quite understand what I'm getting at. And then sometimes if I try to extend self-deprecation into, of course, we all think it's funny to make jokes about ourselves and our, our sad situation in the world. Uh, people will think that, that uh, wait, you don't think I'm the best? You don't think I'm number one? Not that I'm mean, like going around tearing other people down, but I, I just, I tend to mistakenly assume people come to the world from that sort of neurotic, self-deprecating mode. Maybe it's not the best mode to come from. I'm not saying it is, I'm just saying it's the mode I come from, though it is a mode that often feels out of step with the world at large, where the world at large is all about being the best and you're the best and uh, in the world of the best, only the, the, the self-individual can possibly be the best and so that must be you. Or does that mean that's me? I don't know. I don't even remember what I'm talking about now. In any case, folks, this is, as mentioned, very special episode 94 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. And what are we going to talk about today? I had a few things in mind. And now, of course, as I sit down to actually record the show, they're completely evaporating into the ether. What were we going to talk about? Well, let's begin with the fact that, oh, I, I remember entirely now. So I'm sitting here on um, week three, embarking on my recent life change, wherein I've gone from not working outside the home to taking on substitute teaching work. Um, not quite a full-time job because the days are not always full days, although sometimes they certainly are. Um, but also not always a full-time job because it is a very flexible job in the sense that when you get a day like today where I had business to attend to an hour away in, actually I was going to say Santa Rosa, but it wasn't even Santa Rosa. It was the town of Windsor, the town of Windsor, California. I had to drive to the town of Windsor, California, to take care of something midday, so I was not going to be available for substitute teaching. So I just didn't work today. That's how, how the gig works. I just did not work. Um, 
But I'm three weeks in to this life change. And so just by nature of the fact that I now am, I've gone from being at home virtually all day, every day during the week to some days not being here at all for the duration of the day during the week. Just by nature of that change, my schedule is a little bit different. I don't have as, well, it's not that I even had that much downtime when I was at home because I was always trying to take care of various projects around the house. When you really break it down to brass tacks, the the weekday is not particularly long. It goes by fast. And so when you don't have a job to go to, it feels like there's like an infinite amount of things you can accomplish in the day. And then you accomplish like two things. It feels infuriating because you got nothing done. And some of that is due to the fact that just every godforsaken task takes so long to do um, that you're never really going to get the things done that you think you're going to. At least I'm not. Part of it does have to do with efficiencies, though, because when you have what feels like infinite time, unlimited time, it gets harder to manage that time. I think that's kind of a uh, parable for life, whether we work outside the home or not. Life itself often feels like an infinite continuum of time until suddenly we look in the mirror and we realize we probably have less life left at this moment than we did um, when we started. I don't know. Where was I? Uh, so I'm on a different kind of schedule now um, where I'm having to pick and choose my spots for when I want to do what I want to do that involves me needing – that necessitates my being home during the week because the, 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 that time slot has shrunk considerably. Um. And one of the things that I've noticed as my schedule has changed, as I've been busy, and part of this is because of the newness of the schedule and also because this was even the case in the weeks leading up to starting this job, just when I was having to do the prep for it and everything, I went from someone who, you know, I, I wouldn't say I lived on social media or anything, but I spent a decent, at any given time, I would, I'm trying to think um, realistically. If something happened on social media, I would probably notice or hear about it. Like if someone tagged me in something or someone had made a, a post, a, a tweet or a post or whatever that pertained to me. Under ordinary circumstances, when I was not working outside the home, I would probably notice it within at most like an hour. You know, there's times when the, you, the phone's in another part of the house and you're not looking at it, you know, whatever. But it, So it's not like I, I was not glued to social media, but I was a regular participant in social media. And for me, social media um, is Facebook and Twitter. Those are the two platforms that I have active accounts on. Your mileage may and probably does vary. Um I know many people uh, are down on the Facebook thing because, I mean, why wouldn't you be? Facebook is obnoxious. Facebook is toxic. Um, but, well, we'll get into why I still have it. Um, Twitter's funny because Twitter, I've noticed, for people in certain types of fandoms and certain types of interest fiefdoms, um, like uh, people that are in prof into professional wrestling, um, people that are into politics, I'm not equating those things. I guess there's, there's some crossover. Um, but people that are into very like monomaniacal hobbies or interests seem to flock to Twitter because 
it's even to the point where I, I don't know if they do this about every hobby or every interest, but I know from my own background as a fan of professional wrestling, um, among wrestling fans, there's this obnoxious term, wrestling Twitter. Wrestling Twitter being the sum total of all the morons that are on Twitter talking about wrestling at any given time, just having the most inane arguments about bizarre, esoteric aspects of the genre. Uh, I imagine that's probably similar cross genres because I can't imagine the, none, none of this stuff is ever uh, specific to one thing. But what's funny is in these worlds like wrestling Twitter or I don't know what else do they have out there. Oh, there's also there's for sure there's like politics Twitter because you see I mean that's the whole Trump Twitter thing is legendary and then all you know the reaction against that and the reporting on it and that whole world. People who get very embroiled in these Twitter worlds it seems tend to think Twitter is very omnipresent, tend to think Twitter is very um Indicative of the real world, indicative of what's going on outside. But Twitter's the platform, and I heard I heard someone talking about this recently, and I would attribute them, but I can't remember where I heard this. But I, I agree, I agreed with it at the time. I agree with it now. Twitter's the kind of thing where if you really step back from your own little little uh, Twitter fiefdom, the, the, your own fandom that you uh, participate in, the average um, what do they call it? The, the average normie, as it were, the average person that is not monomaniacally interested in something probably isn't on Twitter. Doesn't even have a Twitter account. My wife doesn't have a Twitter account. Uh, my kids don't use Twitter. Most of the people that, the, the people that I know in my own like social media sphere all do, but just, I, I think there's something to that where it's not as, you know, a lot more randos are on Facebook than are on Twitter. Um, but Twitter Although it, it too has its own um, toxicity, particularly again in those fandoms. It doesn't have as much of the everyday, you know, Midwestern grandma toxicity that Facebook uh, has. Instagram is one I'm not on, and I, of all of them, I cannot stand Instagram. Instagram just drives me insane. And I think, again, this, this is all personal preference nonsense, but uh, I think for me with Instagram, the issue is. I joined Instagram originally because of the last job that I had outside the home. And it was a job working for a remote company where I was by far, by far, one of the oldest people working there. And I was like 40 at the time. Uh, was I? Early 40s. I don't know. It was 2017. Um, but I was like somewhere right around 40. I was one of the only... Male employees, I was certainly one of the oldest employees. It was a company where the employee demographic was pretty much like 28 to 30-year-old women. And um, everyone was on Instagram except for me. And so I kept getting left out of stuff. They're like, dude, you just need to get on Instagram. So I got on Instagram. So I got on there specifically to participate in the social aspects of that job. And... Once I was on there, you know, I connected with some of the people that I'm also connected with on Facebook or whatnot. And then I connected with some other people I know that are only on Instagram. Okay. And, well, Instagram is probably less toxic in some ways than a Facebook or a Twitter where you are manipulating people with... I, I mean, you can write on Instagram, kind of. But, you know, in Facebook, you know, there's these voluminous screeds and Twitter has these, like, endlessly hard-to-follow, um, you know... Uh, tweets and subtweets and everything. Instagram, primarily image-driven. But I found the images to be so phony. I found it to be such a, uh, you know, everyone's fake 
beep, because um, I can't swear on this word, but fake A family photos and uh, and I'm not again, I'm not one of these people. Some people get really angry if people post pictures of their family. I, I post pictures of my kids, whatever. But when I post pictures of my kids, it's not staged, it's not filtered, it's not. I just like, oh, here's some crazy stuff they were doing. Um, Instagram is always. It, Instagram reminds me of, and it's not always the same aesthetics because it's different for different uh, social demographics, for different uh, uh, social groups. But Instagram is the equivalent of the family photo that you, that someone has in their house, where like everyone's posed wearing like flowing white. You know that kind of in sync picture that some families do together. I don't know if that's your thing. No offense, but I, I find it odd. I don't know. I just I found Instagram to be too much of an idealized presentation of one's life to the outside world. Um, and I didn't enjoy it. Um, and then I kind of had a falling out with a lot of the people that I worked with at that job. And then it drove me, it irritated me to see their phoniness on Instagram. So I deleted my Instagram account. Um, point of this whole ramble here is that in the last few weeks when I have been occupied with getting ready for my new job and, um, actually doing my new job, I have not really been on Facebook or Twitter that much. And I, I feel kind of bad because I feel like, I, so for me, um, I will, I, I need to add that, um, I mean, no one's take is really unique, but I, I feel my, my orientation towards social media is a little bit different than some people because there's this whole idea particularly in my age demo, like the mid forties people that some people, it's a weird age because it's like, I was an extreme early adopter of all things, computer and tech and social media, et cetera. But then there's people my age can, like, can barely turn on a computer. It kind of depends on what you were doing when you were young. You know, not everyone was in the situation that I was where computers were in the, the forefront um, versus like, you know, someone who's like 20 where of course they grew up around devices and computers and so on and so forth. Um, so anyway, there's certainly this notion around people my age and older, um, particularly those who have kids or have anything to do with educating kids or raising kids. Screens are the devil. There's nothing worse than the screen. The screen was the end of civilization as we know it. The screen somehow, uh, more than any other tool or implement that has ever come down the pike, the screen is what ended uh, the human intellect, human ability, so on and so forth. And that can be the case. I, you certainly see, um, you know, the damaging effects that social media has had on social discourse. Um, but at the same time, I've beaten this drum before. I've told this story before. My entire life um, as an adult would not be what it was were it not for electronic communication. It's how my wife and I met each other, pre-internet, but still connected on computers, looking at screens, typing to each other. I have countless friends that I met online. Um, and then this is not like, you know, someone that I'm, you know, playing an online game with or, or you know, flexing about on, on Instagram. The bonafide friends um, that I either have never met in person see in person like once every 10 years, but I, I consider them friends and I, I communicate with them online. So I have a hard time with the um, sort of Zoroastrian good and evil, all good, all evil screens, social media. Um, I feel like there, there, there are shades of gray for sure. 
So there have been endless times over the last 10 years where I've wanted to delete all social media. But the thing that stops me from doing it again are those relationships that I have that would just, they, they would be gone. There would be no more Team Wundle, at Team Wundle on Twitter. There would be no more at Engineer Nerd. Th these are people who my continued relationship with um, necessitates this sort of online communication. So I guess, um, well, so that's on one side. On the other hand, there is kind of an albatross feeling of being connected to all this nonsense. And by nonsense, I don't mean the people that I actually have um, what I would call real connections with, you know, friendship connections with. But I, more the albatross of the dealings of just the, the seeing co obnoxious comments on ads or seeing like fights break out uh, for uh, among people who don't know each other for no reason. Um, that stuff weighs on one after a while or weighs on this one after a while. Some people I think are better at just tuning that stuff out. Like my wife can use social media and just see what she wants to see and not notice anything else. I'm not wired that way. I see it all. And then I get irritated by the, by the obnoxious parts. But, um, but to me, there is sort of, let's put it this way. Over the last three weeks that I have not been plugged in, I've definitely felt, I wouldn't say it was an unbearable lightness of being, but I have felt a increased lightness of being. But at the same time, I felt a little pang of guilt because I feel like I'm not, uh, I'm ignoring my friends. I'm not, uh, I'm not interacting in the way that I could or should be. It is kind of interesting to me, though, that this kind of lull in my own social media presence is coincidentally happening at a time where there seems to be kind of a downturn in social media in general. Twitter is in disarray. Meta seems to be on the ropes. And I actually heard a conversation about this. It was, I can't remember. It was the same, uh, whatever forum that I heard the last uh, thing I cited that I couldn't remember where I was citing it from. Um, but these people were kind of talking about how there's this idea that things are cyclical when it comes to technology, when it comes to online behavior. Um, for those of us who've been around long enough, yeah, I mean, there was a one point in time where, like I said, that pre-internet world where I met um, Ms. Sensational, the world of local bulletin board systems. That seemed, that was re that was cyber reality to me. At this point, it's like not even a memory of a memory's memory. Just gone into the technological abyss. So it, it stands to reason that we can't assume that social media, as it were, social media in the form of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram will also continue forever. And maybe uh, it's time for kind of a, a recession of these uh, entities. I, I don't want. I, I know many people lately have have lost employment from these companies. And I don't want to make light of that. But I'm just saying more on a philosophical level. Would it be the worst thing for a paradigm change? Would it be the worst thing that? the aforementioned meaningful online uh, connection, meaningful online relationships, which I do contend do exist, um, change form back into something like, uh, you know, interacting together on online forums or, um, you know, people having blogs, actually having to read articles versus, you know, just... Uh, argue, tweet arguments. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. But, but again... Like everything out there, I feel like we need to get away from that Manichaean, or didn't I call it Zoroastrian earlier? I don't know. Those are those two. Those are those two weird 
religions that don't really exist anymore, where it was all about like the, 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 the struggle of absolute good and absolute evil, absolute dark and absolute light. Um, which, although these religions no longer exist in any meaningful format, it's such a, such a, um, uh, uh, they had such a, uh, rippling effect on human thought. Um, this idea that things are good or things are bad. We, we, at least in quote unquote, the Western world, um, I don't know how, I'm, I'm sure that's a, not that different elsewhere, but it, Everything is good or everything is bad. So I either need to delete all my social media and never look at it again, or I need to be on it all day, every day. Maybe I can listen to myself when I'm talking about here and realize it's okay to still be like, you know, teen Wundle is not going anywhere. Engineer nerd is not going anywhere. And if I'm not trolling teen Wundle every five minutes, and if I'm not liking or interacting with every single post that comes down the pike from from my online friends they know i'm still here and i will be back and i will do it again someday um i don't have to throw it throw it all out but i don't have to be all consumed i don't know who knows i don't even know what i'm talking about anymore i just thought it was interesting when suddenly i realized that wow the 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 place where i've wanted to be for some time which is not using social media i actually kind of accidentally found myself at but again it doesn't have to come through extremes um, folks, we are going to wrap up with one final thing here. I could just, I could call it at 30 minutes, which we just hit, but I, I, I wanted to talk about two things today. Maybe I'll start talking about this one because realistically I say 30 minutes. This is always a 38 minute show. I know podcasts are supposed to be short. That's what they say. But then again, every podcast that comes down the pike that I listen to is like four hours long. So, uh, I, I guess you can deal with 38 minutes of Mr. Sensational Gino Vega once kind of a week. Um, but, uh, other thing that's come up recently that is very interesting to me, vis-a-vis um, -vis this substitute teaching, is um, I've suddenly been intensely confronted with my age. And I've talked about age before on the show. I, I think, you know, this has been something that's been on my mind now for quite some time, since around 2009. But it takes different. It has taken different forms along the way, and so it's taken its most recent form by way of substitute teaching and being confronted with children, confronted with my own past, confronted with the passage of time. And it's this. So the first time in my life where I really um, thought about age and aging, and thought about and and was confronted with the fact, wow, some time is really starting to pass, was as I said, two thousand nine. Because in the year two thousand nine. Um, there was an event, um, in Sonoma County where I was living at the time it took place in the city of Petaluma, California, which is about a half an hour away from Santa Rosa. And as some listeners of the show may know, um, as a high schooler, I grew up spending a lot of time in Petaluma going to punk rock concerts at the Phoenix theater in Petaluma, California, which is an old opera house type theater that for years has, um, put on an eclectic mix of live music uh, events and is kind of like a cult hub in the area. Went to a lot of shows there. I was in a band that played a lot of shows there. And in 2009, someone put on a show called Nostalgia Fest. I think it was the second Nostalgia Fest. But uh, let's see. In 2009, I was, give or take, uh, 33 somewhere around 33. 
And um, let's see, it would have been, oh gosh, 2009. So, and I was 15 years removed from my high school graduation. I say high school graduation, even though I did not attend my high school graduation, though I did graduate from high school. So I guess it's all the same, but 33 years old, 15 years out of high school, Nostalgia Fest comes around um, and they asked our band from when I was in high school to play Nostalgia Fest because the whole point of Nostalgia Fest was it was getting a bunch of bands that had played at the Phoenix Theater in the um, mid-1990s together to do a spate of reunion shows Um, because we're all super old now. It's going to be nostalgia. So I agreed to do it. And when it's, I started to realize I'd been out of high school for 15 years, that just seemed like an eternity. I was like, my God, what happened? H- how has this happened? How did I get here? Uh, it was like, uh, and you may ask yourself, when the days go by. Yeah, I went through that whole thing. I was like sweating profusely and, and, and like doing weird chopping motions on my arm and dancing. But uh, yeah, it just felt like, my God, so much time has passed. Um, I need to do something to slow it down. I need to, to, to grab onto something as the, 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 the earth hurtles through time and space. I, I, I feel out of control. I feel like I'm losing my mind. 33. My God. That was young. Um, but that was my first realization that, that time is passing. And now that is very funny because now I am 46 and I am do a little math on the Google machine here. 28 years removed um, from high school. So over 10 years um, beyond when I thought things were out of control and falling apart in 2009. We keep hurtling. There's no stopping. Um, The age continues. But after that Nostalgia Fest happened and, um, you know, my kids were little at the time. I think I had – did I only have one child back then? Uh, I don't know. Six, six, seven, seven. No, I had two. I had like a little one and then a really little one. Um. I kind of, I kind of got preoccupied with with parenting and fell into that groove and felt very, very comfortable with that identity, and um, proceeded to live in Santa Rosa with Ms. S, my wife, and our two kids, until um, literally about ten years after two thousand nine, because yeah, it was two thousand nineteen when we moved from Santa Rosa to Napa, and. Um, Moving to Napa meant also the kids leaving the school that our oldest had gone to from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. Youngest had gone there from kindergarten through uh, sixth grade. Uh, divested ourselves of the house we lived in for 10 years. Uh, left the school that every day I, I was at taking the kids there. Um, suddenly that was just all gone and a new life began. And I swear to God, it's, it was almost like dying. I don't mean it was bad. Like, you know, you think death is bad, but it's like, it was almost like that person died, that life ended. What I'm experiencing now is some other life. And I have this vague recollection. Like I kind of feel like this feeling of deja vu, like there was this other life that happened. Very odd, but um, definitely happened, 2019. Then we lived in a house in Napa for uh, two years. And that would have just been a blip on the radar, except for the fact that the COVID pandemic happened. And so we spent a good part of that... um, two years in a kind of strange dream state because I don't want to make light of the COVID pandemic and I don't want to um, gloat or lord it over people that were not in as positive of situations. But for us, because employment was secure, housing was secure, it was almost kind of like this hazy, like dreamy 
time where everything slowed down, um, and we were able kind of, able to kind of live our own family life like outside of the rest of the world for a year. And at the time, it was sort of like, yeah, this sucks. I kind of miss this, that, or the other from from normal life. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, but this is kind of a good thing that's going on. But it's, I also know it's not going to last forever, so I should appreciate it. But I also want to go back to things being normal. But uh, so, but looking back on it, it's not like I would ever want to go back to that time. But it was its own very distinct life. And then it abruptly ended and we moved again too. So that was like an, an yet another death and rebirth. And so now I'm at this point in my life where um, enough time has passed that I'm going, I've gone through multiple lives in a lifetime. Uh, so on one hand, I'm starting to feel like I'm like Methuselah over here. You know, this is, I, I, I'm at some advanced aged state with all the lives I've lived. At the same time, and... I was having this conversation with someone recently who I don't think we were getting there um, from the same place, but I, I feel like we were feeling the same thing. So this individual, this individual is coming to this from much more of like a physical vanity point. Like this individual likes the idea of remaining like buffed and like jacked and like virile despite getting older and older and older. And so still likes to think of themselves as younger. I don't care so much about that, but I do, in my mind, I'm still like, I don't know, 20, you know? And, and I don't mean like in some way, like, I think I can still do all the things I did when I was 20. It's just like, you know, I, I remember when you're a little kid, you distinctly feel like you're a little kid and you feel other than the the, the adults in the world. And, and then you get a little bit older, you're a teenager and you feel like you're in a teenage mode. Then you get around to like your 20s and now you're kind of, you're just, you, you are who you are in the world. At least that's how it was for me. And it's easy to forget sometimes that you're so far removed from that. Despite how all this life I've lived, despite all the, the change, there's still times where I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm still a young person. There, there's like little kids and there's old people and I'm kind of in between, but I'm actually like way further towards the old people segment now. And so um, teaching has slapped me in the face about that because it's like I, I remember the – First week of subbing, they don't really tell you like if there's any dress code or anything. So I was worried about how I was going to dress because I didn't want to dress too formal, but I didn't want to go there in some like offensive t-shirt or something, you know. So I was kind of dressing nondescript and I was getting, driving over there and I was worrying about whether it was appropriate or not. And suddenly it hit me. I was like, you know what? I'm probably like 15 years older than the principal at the school. What do I care? You know, because it's so easy to be in this mode. I'm going to get in trouble. I, an, an older authority figure is going to somehow smack me down. And it's like, no, I, I'm the old, I, I'm the old belligerent one now. You know, I, I need to own some of that. Um, same thing when I'm in there with like a high school class, and I'm sitting there, and they're all doing their thing, and I kind of feel like, you know, we're all. Not peers, but it's like, you know, eh, I'm a couple years older than these guys. And then I'm looking at them, it's like, no, I'm like, uh, how much, like, 20, is it 20? If they're like 17? No, older than that. I'm like 30 years older than these guys. Good God. And gals and others. But you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, so it's just been sort of a wake-up call. It's like, my God, man, you are not young anymore. And it's not a bad thing. It's not because, again, when I say that I think of myself as young, it's not because, like, I, I am trying to you know, live out some like plastic surgery vanity or have a midlife crisis. I just mean, you know, there's a disconnect between physical embodiment and like uh, the the mental being, the spirit. I don't know whatever you want to call it, but the, 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 the animating force. The animating force does not, at least at this point, there hasn't been dementia or anything. The animating force still 
thinks of itself in the same way, perceives things in the same way. The body continues to change. It's not necessarily a bad change. It's, it's, it's change. There's nothing we can do about it. It's the cycle of life. And it's been interesting, interesting to be reminded of it. The last uh, parting comment, the most recent um, amazing uh, reminder is um, I have mentioned before on the show that my um, in-person social life here in Napa, California, very unexpectedly has um, taken shape. You know, I first moved here and I didn't work here. I didn't really have any way of meeting people here. I didn't think I would ever really have a social life here. I thought I would just be kind of an introvert, staying at home, not really doing much. But um, by way of hanging out at the local establishment Napa Cigars, which is a bar that also sells cigars, or it's a cigar shop that also has a bar. They might want to think of it more that way. I don't know, for, for legal purposes. Who knows? Anyway, it is, a, it is a place that both sells retail tobacco, like cigars, and um, sells beer, wine, and spirits, and you can drink and or smoke them on the premises. Um, I started hanging out there, as I've mentioned on the show before, and so I've actually established really a robust social life there. It's odd. It's strange. Unexpected. Um, but it has happened. And a few of the people that I associate with there, I, the, probably Ms. S and I's, I don't want to say best friend because we like all the people we're friends with her, but the, the person that we've hung out with the most like outside of, uh, uh, of the store, like he's been to our house, we've gone out and done stuff, uh, outside the store with this fellow named Mark. And Mark is actually older than us. Mark is, I think he's like, he's in his fifties. We're in our forties. But a lot of the people that we traffic with at Napa Cigars are quite a bit younger. Like the people that work there, there used to be a guy that worked there that was like 28 or something like that. I think I might be getting that wrong, but I think he was in his late 20s. There's people that are kind of more in their early 30s. Um, But I often forget that when we're hanging out there because everyone's just hanging out, talking about similar stuff, feeling very similar. But um, last weekend, there's an individual that was um, visiting out here in Napa, California from France. His name is Gautier. Uh, he was out here um, doing a wine internship for another Napa Cigar store patron by the name of Adam. Uh, Gautier is in his late 20s, um, if I recall correctly, like 27 or something like that. Uh, but his stint here is coming to an end, and he kind of had this – he had a, his job ended. Um, then he's here for like another month. But anyway, he was all hot to trot, wanted to hang out and, and party because um, he'd finished work. And we happened to be at the store the night, you know, he was finished work and he was going to be out celebrating. And so um, we were hanging out with him and he was at the store, but then he was going to go off to this other bar afterwards that stays open later um, nearby. And he was trying to get Ms. S and I to come by. And we we're like, eh, we'll stop by and just say hi. But we ended up going over there and staying till closing time and ditching our car downtown and taking a Uber slash Lyft home which is not something that we normally do in this day and age. But yeah, we closed out the bar, just hardcore partied, and we're sitting there, and I'm just realizing, Ms. S and I are talking, saying, dude, we're both pushing 50, and we're at this 27-year-old guy's end-of-work party, staying here till 2 in the morning. This is really weird. And that was another moment where age came to the forefront. Because on one hand, it's kind of cool. You know, I'm kind of glad. It's not that, like, I would I would not hang out with people my age or older just a vampire off of younger people, but it's kind of nice to have a spectrum of people in the social life so that it keeps you, you know, you hang out with people older than you and you, you hang out with people younger than you and you kind of forget, you kind of just be, can become you relating with these people and it becomes less of a rigid 
performative social roles, I guess. I don't know. Just found it interesting. And it was uh, something I could use, something plumbed from the depths, to synthesize as content for you on this very special episode 94, which is now gone, supersized edition on us. So I apologize for that. But because we've gone so long, I am going to say that for the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network, it is me, Mr. Sensational, sensational, easy for me to say, Gino V. And I am signing off. Salt and